Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn DeWer. Through the course of this episode, we're going to journey deep into our history, possibly as far from the War of Independence as you can get. Certainly, the show has never covered anything as old as this. The place we're going to go to is twice as old as the pyramids, and our ancestors who built the structure we're going to visit did pretty strange things there. So stay tuned for that. Now, getting back that far is a bit of a winding road. Lots of you are going to know that over the last six months, I've been focused on the War of Independence. So I'm going to explain why I'm going to take a break from that just for this episode. So today's show started out as a normal War of Independence episode about an IRA prison in Dublin. But through the course of writing the script, something went wrong. It started out with a niggling self-doubt, but this developed into full-blown writer's block, which has stalled production of the War of Independence series completely. It's a bit like trying to unravel a ball of string. You start out with a small, simple knot, but instead of taking my time, I ignored the problem and kept on pulling at it. And now, four weeks later, it's gotten a lot worse, to the point that I'm completely tied up. Now, the crux of the problem probably lies in the fact that I don't Well, I didn't really believe in writer's block. As I said on a previous episode, I used to think it was a bit self-indulgent. So instead of stopping, I just kept trying to write that same episode and that really didn't help. Writer's block is a bit like insomnia. The more you think about it and try and resolve it, the worse it gets. Eventually I was quite wound up, so I rang a friend of mine, Carl. Now Carl worked as a carpenter for years and he plied his trade in London. And I figured, given that was a pretty hectic working environment, that Carl would be pretty unforgiving when I said I thought I had writer's block. I thought he'd just tell me to cop on and get on with it, and that he couldn't say he had carpenter's block when he was going to building sites in London. But Carl's response took me back. It actually took me back so much that I asked him to stop and I turned on a recorder, because I was feeling that maybe he was explaining my conundrum better than I could. So now you can hear what Carl said when I asked him how he tackled problems when he was a carpenter. Just take a step back, even for a day or two. Just step back for a day or two. 
goes, if you just go ahead with it, if you're unsure, it's the same as anything. There's the, there's the old saying, measure twice, cut once, which is a similar sort of thing where instead of just going ahead with saying, just say, oh, yeah, yeah, that'll do. Yeah, I got it right. And then realising later on you've made a mistake. So you can start off with a, a small mistake, a small error in measurements. By the time you get to the end, you've got a massive error. Now, I thought he was really on the money when he finished up with this advice. Do you want to do a good job? Do you want to do a proper job? Or do you want to do an half fast job? which is going to come back to bite you. Because the way, the way they get other jobs is not so much by what you know and all that. It's recommendations from other people. It's the same as anything. It's like you as a writer and a podcaster. If you if you started just tossing out podcasts just for the sake of it, you get away with it for the first, first couple. After that, you, you'd have people dropping off, just thinking, well, this fella's not interested anymore. What's the point? That's exactly the name of the game when it comes to podcasting. Forcing a show out that isn't very good won't work for me, or more importantly, it won't work for you, the listener. Ultimately, podcasts grow when people like you recommend the show to your friends. And if it's not great, well, you're not going to do that, are you? So that convinced me to follow Carl's advice, pause the war of independence, and take a step back. Now, morbid as this sounds, I find old graveyards great for that kind of perspective. While the tombs can be fascinating to read, the fact that they stretch back centuries can often make your problems seem pretty insignificant. Surely this was where I would find perspective. So I grabbed the microphone and headed to a pretty atmospheric graveyard that's probably over a thousand years old, just at the edge of Kilkenny where I live. This started a pretty interesting journey that ended up as far from the War of Independence as you can imagine. So next stop, we're going to go to that cemetery, but it doesn't end there. The show, as I said at the start, will take us back over 5,000 years. So I've driven about three kilometres outside of Kilkenny and I've arrived at Outrath uh, Cemetery. Now this was a medieval site, dates back centuries, right back into the early medieval period. The name Outrath um, is a kind of a, a derivation of Irish and the original name would have meant Upper Rath. Now, Rath is an enclosure and the upper part refers to its position in the landscape. So the cemetery is located on the top of a hill. Um, it's pretty beautiful uh, positioning. From all the, the landscape around, you can't actually see the cemetery. But when you're up here, you have these lovely commanding views uh, right back into Kilkenny and over a lot of the land in this part of the country is relatively flat so you've got lovely views from here but we've come up obviously to look at the cemetery and there's some pretty old tombstones in here with some pretty good stories attached to them so let's just get out of the car and cross the road it's a really quiet uh, country lane I don't even feel the need to lock the car but uh, so the cemetery has this enclosure it's kind of a sub circular enclosure often uh, you'll find these at medieval sites now there was a medieval church here but that's long gone and the graveyard today i don't know if it's even used anymore like it's very heavily worn a lot of the tombstones are have fallen over on each other and they are you can't read the inscriptions are on the underside a lot of the tombstones have also collapsed there's a mixture of different type of tombstones here, like standard enough stone ones. And then there are some pretty uh, impressive, uh, I suppose what you'd call 
almost altar tombs where they're like lifted up off the ground. It has almost a, a gothic feel to it in some of it. There is actually, I'm just seeing here, some very modern uh, burials here dating from just like 15, 20 years ago. But there was a survey done here in the 1970s uh, of the tombs that were legible then. So that's like nearly 50 years ago. But uh, that gives us a good recording of the tombs that were here then. And I guess trying to get some perspective on things and as I said earlier, taking a step back from the War of Independence series, there's one tomb in particular that uh, has drawn me to this cemetery. And that's the uh, tomb of a man called Martin Pierce. I think this is his name, maybe Pierce Martin. I'm just looking up, yeah, Pierce Martin. And Pierce Martin was buried here on April the 7th, 1710. He was aged 29 at the time. So he was born in 1681. Like 1681, if you put that into context of maybe wider events, uh, for example, America was the English colonies at the time. The United States, or what would become the United States, was a very small country. Europeans had yet to uh, discover places like Australia. So like it's a, that the world was very different. Um, I suppose in terms of Irish history, what is uh, very important about this point is when Pierce Martin was born, the Battle of the Boyne would take place 10 years after his birth, or just nine years after his birth. And it gives you some sense of the world he lived in. The Battle of the Boyne, I should say, is a hugely significant battle between William of Orange and James II, and it kind of establishes a, 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 the sectarian nature of Irish society into the 18th and 19th centuries, kind of laid down in the aftermath of that battle. So it's a very significant battle. And, I suppose still is today. I mentioned it earlier in one of the War of Independence episodes. I'm looking for his tomb here and I can't, there's directions to it, but I can't find it. Interestingly though, you get a snapshot into this guy's life. So as I said, his name is Pierce Martin, but his son is also buried in it. And his son, Michael, um, died on March the 30th, 1720. Uh, he was 20 at the time. So Pierce must have had him when he was about 18. But uh, I'm just now, I can't find his tomb and I'm just wandering around here. There is a kind of a site at the back. I have been up here before. Um, and I think that's where the medieval church was. And we might just walk over there. Um, I didn't really prepare too well to come up here. I'm walking around in, uh, there's lots of nettles and I'm in shorts. But anyway, we'll make our way on. Don't know if I'm going to be able to reach the uh, what I thought was the church site. It's completely overgrown. Um, I'm passing much more recent graves now. People from the 30s, the 40s. There's one here on the ground. Here's a famine survivor, Patrick Lahey, 1869, aged 66. Mary Lahey, 51, who died in 1861. I think, yeah, we often don't think of these people maybe as famine survivors. Um, I think we have a very specific image of what someone who lived through the famine was. And I think it tends to be uh, people from the west of Ireland, impoverished tenants. And obviously that, that is part of the story, but not the entire part. 
I have to say though, this isn't, uh, <laughs> I'm not necessarily getting the perspective I had hoped by coming to this cemetery. The oldest, kind of reaffirms maybe, the oldest uh, tomb I saw there was, or the oldest tomb I was looking for and I didn't even find it, it was from 1710, but even the events in that man's life shaped the War of Independence. And I think what I need to do is try and find something older. And I'm gonna go back to the car and take a look around, just do a quick Google and see what might be one of the oldest sites in County Kilkenny. I'm not gonna drive too, too far, but you know, we could drive 30, 40 K, I suppose, if we could find a much older site. So I'm just gonna, I'll pick up, I'll let you know what I find when I'm back in the car. Okay, folks, I'm back in the car and I have found the perfect site, I think. It was actually somewhere where I was a couple of uh, days ago. It's a site called Kilmoog. It's about, I'd say, 25-minute drive from here. But Kilmoog is over 5,000 years old. And I reckon if I'm going to find perspective at an archaeology site, an archaeological site, Kilmoog might be it. So I'm going to drive down there and I'll pick up the story when we get there. And I'll tell you all about that site. It's a pretty cool place. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Recently, I had a minor argument with a close friend that brought up things from my past that I really needed to get off my chest. I think we've all been there. Now, I found therapy a really great way to work through these issues. For me, I really like online therapy. And BetterHelp is a really great online service that allows you to make space for therapy no matter how busy you are. BetterHelp is convenient, affordable, and gives you the support you need, but also works around your schedule. It's really easy to get up and running with a therapist on BetterHelp. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can do your sessions by text, phone, or video call, whichever suits you best. It's all about flexibility, working around your schedule. At the moment, BetterHelp are offering listeners to the show 10% off their first month. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash irishhistory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash irishhistory. So I've just pulled up at Kilmoog, folks, and immediately you can see you're talking about a very, very different site here. Um, when you're at Outrath, it's very much connected into the modern world in that, like, there's people buried 
in that cemetery who lived on streets in Kilkenny that still exist today. So I suppose it's kind of interwoven into the Kilkenny, even into the 21st century. But here at Kilmoge, and sorry, I should say the reason I've come here is to look at something called a portal tomb. I'm going to explain a bit more about that when I get down to it. Uh, these date from around five and a half thousand years ago. But immediately you can see the world then was very different. I've come to what is a pretty remote valley. It's a very gradual valley. Uh, the scenery is lovely. It's like green fields, trees. But there's nothing here that would have, would draw people here today as such. So to have, you know, what seems to be, a, and I'll explain more about it, this portal tomb, a pretty special monument in this area. Today, we can't understand why, obviously, five and a half thousand years ago, people understood this landscape very differently. Now, interestingly, there might be a key to this in the name Kilmoog. And you know what, actually, I'm going to get out of the car and I'm going to start walking down and we'll talk a bit about that on the way down. So the name Kilmoog comes from the Irish word Kilmoog. And Kilmoog uh, refers to the church of Mog. And there's an interesting thing in that. So that would take us back to the early Christian period if we're talking about the Church of Mog. And, you know, okay, the early Christian period, that takes us back to around the year 500. But if we go back to this site, now this site was five and a half thousand years old. So we're talking about three and a half thousand BC. So that's 4,000 years before maybe the early Christian period or the early medieval period. But the Church of Mog doesn't actually refer to a Christian saint or the Mog in that is actually a pagan god Mog. So maybe what this highlights is that at least say around the year zero in the Iron Age and the early medieval period, there was something about this landscape that was special. And maybe that explains why the portal tomb was built here. I know it's thousands of years earlier, but it might hint that for thousands of years, this was a pretty special place. Now, I've just walked down from the car about 100 meters and I'm coming up to the portal tomb. And you can see this is a pretty, but you can't see, but I can see it and I'll explain it to you. It's an incredible structure. And I'm going to talk about what people did here in a minute, but first I'm going to explain what this looks like. So a portal tomb, consists of about 10 stones and when I say stones these are enormous I'm six foot five and these are still way taller than me this tomb stretches up 18 feet into the air and um, it's constructed of about six stones that kind of form a supportive structure and they're sunk down into the ground and then there's one huge stone put on top and that's the capstone and the capstone here is at an angle running from the ground up into the sky and it stands as I said at 18 feet in height. Now I'm just going to step into the shelter of the tomb because I think there might be a bit of wind there but you get a sense of, I hope you can get a sense that this is a huge structure. Now immediately I've said that this is built around five and a half, five and a half thousand years ago. What was Ireland like five and a half thousand years ago? Well, we can't be entirely certain, but there is something. So, for example, this was on the verge of the Neolithic Revolution. So people were barely even farming in Ireland when they built this. Now, I put up, I was down here last week and I put a picture of this on Twitter or Instagram. And people were um, asking me then what, uh, what was... Um, 
sorry, how do they build, how do they build uh, this? And like the, the, the answer is we just don't know. There's about 150 of these in the country in total, but very few of them have been excavated. So we don't know a huge amount about them, but we'd have to imagine to build this. Now your guess is as good as mine. Each of these stones that make up this are enormous in waste. They weigh several tons. You know, it would take, I'm guessing dozens of people to move them, but maybe with a system of rollers. And if you erected the supportive stones, getting the capstone on, which weighs several tons, there's no way it could be lifted up there. But maybe they covered in the initial stones with a mound of earth, then rolled the capstone into place and then removed the earth. Who knows? Um, but it certainly takes away the idea that our ancestors five and a half thousand years ago are somehow primitive people. I don't think that's how it works at all. I don't think they're primitive or the way we understand it. I think they've got very, they don't have the tools that we have. Like we're standing on their on the generations of knowledge that goes before them. If you're looking for pictures of this and Outerat Cemetery, by the way, I'm going to post them on Patreon. That's at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. I'll put um, as many pictures as I can up there. What's really fascinating, though, for me about this site is what we know about why these were built. So I said it's called a portal tomb, right? And that indicates, obviously, people were buried here. Uh, while this one was never excavated, we do have a fascinating insight into what went on here from another one. Now, I'm going to read you a quote now from the website irisharchaeology.ie, where Colm, who runs that website, by the way, it's a really great website. Check it out if you want uh, all things Irish archaeology, basically there. It's irisharchaeology.ie. But Colm there has written the following about portal tunes, and this might give us an insight into what went on here. So it says, one of the very few portal tombs that has been investigated by archaeologists is Poole na Bróina in County Clare by Lynch 2014. At this site, the remains of 22 people were uncovered inside the tomb, including 16 adults and six children. Of these bodies, only eight could be sexed, and these were equally split between males and females. The bones were found in a largely disarticulated state, and this suggests that the human remains had undergone a complex burial ritual. It appears that the dead were initially placed in the tomb as complete bodies and allowed to decompose. Then, at a later date, certain body parts were removed, in particular the skulls and long bones. The reasoning behind this is uncertain, although it may have been related to some form of ancestor worship, where the dead, via their skeletal remains, continued to play a role in the daily lives of their descendants. So in this structure, if, if what happened at that portal tomb happened here, sometime at the very, very early Neolithic period, a family group, maybe even a bigger group, some group of people were coming here, putting the bodies of people who had died into a, there's a space you can see there's a, a space in the tomb where, where, where they could have been left they're left there then to decay and after a certain amount of time then they come back and take the bones away and when you think about this this is like death this world if i was saying that i wanted to come somewhere for perspective and take a step back i don't know if i could come anywhere that would give you perspective like this because these people obviously had an even like the very basics like in terms of life and death, they understood those differently than we do. Obviously, they believed that, I suppose, that like maybe we have this very 
uh, what's the word, um, clear delineation between life and death. But you would wonder with people who uh, bring, who carried out a ritual like this, did they, did, did they see death in the same way if they were bringing the human body parts or the bones, maybe the skull and the long bones somewhere else, did they see that they were still alive in some way? Were they brought back to where they were living? Did they see their uh, dead uh, ancestors as still playing a role in daily life as uh, Colin alluded to in, in that discussion there about the excavation of the other um, portal tomb? When you see this, though, it's, it's really, really mind-blowing to think that, like, five and a half thousand years ago, like, to try and put this, sorry, I, I think it's worth always trying to put these things into context. And when we think about five and a half thousand years ago, what was going on in the world, this might help us understand this. So if you take someone, like, the, maybe a very famous person, uh, say, like, uh, uh, Tutankhamun. Tutankhamun was born exactly at the halfway point between our age today and when this was built. So when Tutankhamun, this was ancient when Tutankhamun would have walked the earth. There is actually one other feature in this area that's presumably somehow related. There's a standing stone in the field next door. And a standing stone is exactly what you would imagine it to be. It's a standing stone. But dating these are very, very difficult. Uh, they could be at any point really in the last 5,000 years. And again, very little is actually understood about those, about why they're being erected, because it's just a stone in an upright position. They can be quite um, spectacular, I suppose, but often, yeah, like they're just in this situation, it's a standing stone, it's a stone in an upright position in the field, clearly put there by humans, it's not natural, but at the same time, we have no idea why they would have done that. But that presumably alludes to what I was talking about when I was coming down from the car, that this must have been somehow a, a, a special place. I guess coming back to where I started this whole going to see these sites is to give me perspective and help me with writer's block. I'm not sure it's going to do that, but it's a really spectacular, gives you food for thought. So I'm back at home and I just wanted to record a short sign off. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sorry for the delay in the War of Independence series and I'll get back on it as soon as this, well, whatever this is, lifts. Until next time, Sloan. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.